Better late than never, boys and girls. Welcome once again to the Irish in Sweden podcast. My name is Philip O'Connor and it's an absolute disgrace. Sure, I know I can hear you giving out about me behind me back that just had to wait until Tuesday. Not even Monday evening. Until Tuesday you had to wait for this week's episode. All I can say is I am terribly sorry. I went out to do an interview on Sunday and the whole thing just refused to work. And that sort of uh, ruined the whole buzz, ruined the whole vibe and that kind of thing. And sure didn't I have interviews booked in on Monday and I had interviews booked in on Tuesday. But uh, that wasn't going to save the 7 o'clock in the morning podcast. So if you were hanging on my every word and you got up and I disappointed you, I'm terribly sorry about that. But what I can say is that we have a jam-packed podcast for you this week with all manner of wonderful things. In a little while, Paul O'Mahony is going to be joining me from the local to talk about the news in Sweden and the things that are generally going on. He works for the local.se. He is the editorial product manager there. Very experienced journalist. You will have heard him around about a year ago, a little more than a year ago, he came down to the studio here to talk about the upcoming Swedish election. And it's something that we might do on a slightly more regular basis, right? You're going to be hearing from him about the top three news stories that are engaging the readers of the local very shortly. Before we get to that, there's another little thing which I'll tell you about in a second. But I just want to remind you of a few things that are going on in the community, right? And the most pressing two are uh, Halloween. So the 4th of November 2023, there's a Halloween spooky ghost walk and party in Stockholm, right? Aimed at the kids, lads. Don't be turning up with your can of boomers and fancy dress, right? There's going to be a Halloween spooky ghost, ghost walk, right? Uh, that will be happening in Stockholm on Södermalm. And if you go to SwedishIrish.com forward slash events, you will find all the details of that. So uh, there's a limit of 50 places, adults and children. It starts at 4 o'clock on the afternoon of the 4th of November. The walk is going to take approximately an hour and then there will be uh, a party for six to 16 year olds from five o'clock until seven o'clock at Europa School on, on Gotlands Gotland 43, right? So previously, uh, these things have gotten booked out reasonably quickly. We're trying to get the word out there to as many people as possible. So if you're in Stockholm and you fancy doing that, uh, get involved, right? Uh, it'll be there on the website, swedishirish.com forward slash event. There's a bunch of Christmas dinners coming up as well with the Swedish Irish Society, one in Stockholm and new for this year at Fagan's Pub in Malmö. The, the the Swedish one, or sorry, the Stockholm one is already decided. The details about the Malmö one will be decided in the coming weeks and I will talk to you in the coming weeks about them just a little bit closer to the event. But also there's going to be a podcast next week together with our friends from the Irish Chamber of Commerce in Sweden and it's all to do with their Beacon Award and their gala dinner which is happening in the beginning of December. So I've spoken to Rory more about that and I'll be bringing you a whole bunch of news about that in next week's podcast. But for now that's what's happening so get out for that Halloween event and get in touch with Peter Miller down below in Malva because he's doing his best to get the Swedish Irish Society up and running down there and of course he needs all the help that he can get before we get into our first little story for this week uh, do me a favour, make sure you're following at Philip Ablana on Instagram, at Irish and Sweden Pod on Instagram, at Philip O'Connor on Twitter, because uh, helping me out there on social media by spreading the podcast is a wonderful thing. It's the most generous and fantastic thing that you can do, and you'll be more beautiful slash handsome if and when you do it. So get sharing it on your story or get sharing the posts from the various different social media sites there and get the more people listen to it, the better. If you would like to support the podcast, please do patreon.com forward slash arrowman in Stockholm. A five 
a month we'll keep this uh, keep this thing going and it's always going to be free the Irish and Sweden podcast the Global Gale podcast they will always be free because I remember what it was like not to have a whole lot of money here but that said these things cost money and if you see a value in it you know uh, for the price of an espresso house latte in a mug the size of a bucket uh, you can support this podcast this month and every month there is also a swish number and do you think I can find it when I need it? no no I can't find it when I need it so we'll have to do that at some other stage listen speaking of social media I was over on Facebook there for a little while popping out another podcast and I happened to see that somebody had posted a picture in the Irish in Gothenburg or the Gothenburg Irish can't remember what it's called in their Facebook group and what was it only a picture of a mural of Neve Keen or Neve of the Golden Hair in Mölndal in Gothenburg Mölndal's a suburb of Gothenburg what on earth is a gigantic mural of uh, somebody in Gothenburg of like an Irish mythical figure doing down in Gothenburg lads I was only beside myself there and I had to find out what was going on there so I did and I sent out a couple of minions there Aina Boyle down below there in Gothenburg and Nigel Harbron the two of them went out in their cars and on their bikes and with their dogs and they took pictures of it and they made sure that it is there on Nem the Man's Goth and uh, I think it was number one there it's still there and I thought to myself, right, I have to find out who was behind this. And find out I did. The artist behind this huge mural, which has actually been there for quite some time, of Neve Keenor, Neve of the Golden Hair, uh, wife of Ushin from Tiernanog, uh, had to go and find the artist. And I did. And his name is James Bullock. And he has an Irish connection. And he lives down below in Berlin. So I tracked him down. And here is the story of how an enormous mural of an Irish mythical figure happened to be on the edge of a house, on the gable wall of a house, down below in Mullendal in Gothenburg. Enjoy. Okay, James. So the way this worked was that somebody sent me a photograph of a mural that you did of Neve Keen Orr in Gothenburg, and I thought this was a new artwork. But you told me just before we started recording that this is actually something you did four or five years ago. Could you tell me how it came about? Yeah, actually, uh, as you said, I did it a while back as part of a mural festival called uh, Artscape which happens, I believe, yearly in Sweden in different cities. And that year it was in Gothenburg. And that year was unusual in that rather than having artists come just paint whatever they want, they gave each artist uh, a fairy tale from a different culture, a different uh, country, kind of. And I was given the fairy tale from Ireland, the Celtic fairy tale, again i have never heard it said it's by a, a ne- proper irish person neve keen or <laughs> neve of the golden hairs how we would translate that into english exactly. Keen is, is head and or is gold okay there you go so that leads right into it so they gave me this um it's a bit more than a poem it's a fairy tale a short fairy tale and as i understood it um translated into english from celtic was uh as you said the the golden haired uh, princess of a of a magical land or something yep. um, fell in love with a man uh, a human man from uh, across the ocean and their love ended in tragedy when either he or she perished because they were not able to come see each other something like this yeah. so this was a story that I was that I was told and then to create a piece of artwork that sort of reflected that so in my work. What you see is a golden hair, a golden haired lady, uh, gazing off into the distance with a very 
out of focus landscape, an ambiguous landscape behind her. And she's peeling off of the wall as if her story is fading, her tale or her time on this earth is coming to an end. So it looks as if she is peeling off the wall like an old painting or an old paint would peel off mm. and revealing behind her sort of a made up Celtic knot design that I sort of created, um, which also has in it a horse, which I, I read from the story. There was something about a horse. She was, she was famous for riding this golden or white horse or something. Mm. So I tried to incorporate as much as I could, including the text of the name of the poem down at the bottom. Mm. You have a remarkable memory for something that was done five years ago. If I remember correctly, the legend <laughs> is to do with Oshin, and Oshin travelled across the sea to Tirnanog, the land of the eternally young, uh, where they met himself and Neve and they fell in love. But he missed his old comrades in the Fianna, the fighting force at the time. But she gave him permission to go back on this horse. But she said, don't set foot in Ireland. Because if you set foot in Ireland, the 400 years we have spent together in the land of the eternally young, they'll all pass through your body at once. And that was why when he got down to help move a boulder off the road, he aged and died uh, on the spot. Um, how did you go about doing this? Because obviously, you know, do you have any connection to Ireland yourself? This is not a tale that you'd heard before, no? It is not, no. Um, and I was actually very pleased that they did give me that because, well, one of the reasons I think that they probably gave me that tale versus another is because they know that I often work with themes of women and hair flowing and, and things like that. So they kind of locked me in on that one right away. Um, but I don't have much of a connection to Ireland. I am, I guess, I don't know if ethnically or whatever the right word is, but my, my parents on my father's side come from Ireland. I've been told that my name may or may not come from uh, Irish uh, language of some sort. But no, I'm an American guy. I live in Berlin now, but I'm born and raised in America. And that was just by chance, uh, by, by lucky chance, that I think I got that. Mm-hmm. I did grow up with a bit of Irish in me. I've got two, two of my aunts were Catholic nuns. My family considers themselves on my father's side very Irish, although... I think the motherland. Yeah, like everything else, you know, the the, the longer it goes, a little, little bit like Oshin, I suppose. The longer you're away from there, the the less, the more tenuous the bonds uh, become. Could I ask there you? you go. Could I ask you, James, about that? The practicality of doing this, because this is on the gable wall of a huge building. Like this is not, you know, you're not sitting at your easel in your beautiful studio in Berlin and just tipping away with your pencil no, no. here. How long did it take you to do it? Uh, did you have to have help? Obviously, you'd have to have scaffolding or a crane or something like that. What were the practicalities of making that mural? Well, there's actually a whole lot that goes into it. The um, the festival, as I said before, is called Artscape, and they organize and run most of the logistics in terms of getting the lift in place, getting permission, getting permits, and all of these things. Um, as for the practicality of the actual painting, I did that completely with my assistant, Thomas Turner, who's another American artist. He lives in Atlanta. And whenever I do big jobs, he flies out and assists me on that, and we sort of work as if uh, one human broken into two bodies. Um, and we just, uh, the, the basic sketch is all done beforehand in the computer, by, in Photoshop, putting images together and drawing things. But then once we get on the ground, we use a projector to get the basic outlines and proportions up on the wall at night, the first night. And then beyond that, we each are up there on our lift with a photo in the hand and just paint, just go for it. It's just something I've been doing for about, Oh, now it's almost probably 11 years been painting big walls like this, and it just becomes sort of second nature. 
So it's almost all uh, the figure and all the realistic stuff is all done with spray paint, just uh, regular graffiti spray paint. And then the flat stuff in the background is with roller paint. And um, the most challenging thing, I mean, people obviously also always comment on the height and being up on the lift, you know, four stories up and all of that. That's usually not a problem. We've been doing this long enough. But in Sweden, there was definitely one thing that was something we had to battle with the whole time and that was the weather somewhat um you know what's the word anyway and uh embrace that unless it's in a a major uh sometimes it needs needs some attention and i'll do that but usually i'd rather move forward than backward but i would like to come so if you've got an invitation then (laughs) we we will certainly do it believe it or not there is actually a young irish artist here is involved in very similar projects so i'm going to get in touch with him but we'll find out where he is in the world and see if we can bring you back it's a brilliant piece of work and it's a brilliant story and thanks so much for telling it to us on the irish and sweden podcast james absolutely thanks for having me there you go. That was indeed James Bullock there. A fascinating story. And if you look at the social media posts that will be going out with this podcast, you will see a few different pictures of it that were provided to me by the two lads down below in Gothenburg there, by Nigel and by Anna Boyle down there. And it's a fantastic piece of work. So keep your eye out if you're around Muldall. If you're looking to go out for a walk with the dog this evening and he fancies a trip over there, bring him over there, bring her over there, have a look around and check that one out. Because as I say, it's just amazing. Uh, if you just look up from your phone the kind of things that you will see. Right, a little bit earlier today, I had a visit from the legendary Paul O'Mahony. Paul was working for, was it the Associated Press or AFP? Certainly working for the Irish Times. Paul was a freelance journalist like myself. Started up with the local many years ago then and has been involved with them ever since. He was managing editor and he is now editorial product manager. And he came down to the studio because I'm well aware of the fact that some people aren't really in tune with what's going on in the country. And even if you see some things, you know, people back home might be asking about news stories and that. And if you're not sort of keyed into that or linked into that, Uh, then you don't really have a whole lot to say. So I asked him about the top three stories that are being read on the local. He came over here to the studio for a little chat and to catch up about how things are going and what's going on politically and all that kind of thing. So here he is, Paul O'Mahony from the local with the top three stories in Sweden over the last few weeks. So where would you get it? I'll tell you where you get it, the Irish and Sweden podcast place. We are delighted to welcome back to the studio uh, no less than Paul O'Mahony. Who's, now, let's get the job title again here. I don't want to be using the word editor. Is it no, editorial, editorial product, product manager? manager. I'm, I'm shocked you don't remember from last no, time. No, no, no. You see, journalism is a process of verification, Paul, as you well okay. know, which is why we're, we're posing as a form of a question. We knew well that you were the editorial product manager. Okay, fair enough. How are things at the local? You moved uh, not too far from where I am here now. You're up on West Monagotha. We're up on West Monagotha now, yeah. Things are good at the local. Yeah. yeah. Lo- lots busy. of news coming, in, uh, coming and going, An kind of thing. awful lot of news about at the moment, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a really busy period. Let's dive into that because I asked you yesterday, we said we'd, we'd catch up on some of the bigger news stories mm. that are going on and we went and looked at sort of the three biggest news stories yep. on the local at the moment. What are the ones that are generating the most uh, interest in descending order? What's the like the number three at the moment, would you say? In descending order, uh, I would say probably the uh, terrorism attack last week in Brussels right. uh, where two Swedes were murdered. I think that's probably number three on the list. Mm. 
When you get a story like that, right, because obviously the, the local is a sort of, a, it's European. Do you have a, a presence there in Brussels as well, or do you have... We don't in Brussels, actually, no. We're, no. In, we're in nine European countries, but Belgium isn't one of isn't them. Isn't one of them, right? No. How do you deal with a story like that? Because obviously you have the major news agencies, and you have, you know, a lot of Swedish newspapers, mm. and Sveriges Radio, and that kind of thing. They would have been on site there. So when you're coordinating your coverage for that, what do you bring to that that's different at the local, do you think? Well, on a story like that, we'll use the wires, like we use the AFP news story, so mm. the, the AFP news wire, so we're getting that from their Brussels office. Yeah. Um, and then just uh, we'll be following very closely what's happening in the Swedish papers, um, how, how they're covering it. And it's not really, you know, it's a straight news story. Mm. Uh, the, the stories that do best for the locals are the ones that are closer to our subscribers, yeah. uh, ones that affect them directly. This doesn't particularly, but we'll, you know, we cover it to the to the best of our ability because mm. obviously it's a huge news story. Mm. Was it was it one that sort of sometimes these things go like a firework, right? They fly up in the sky mm. and then they disappear just as quick. Was that one of those stories for you because of the fact that it happened in Brussels and there wasn't people maybe who might have been readers of the local it who were involved? Was, yeah, it was. It, 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 there's not that much follow up on it this week. Uh, yeah. I would say just, you know, the, over the years, unfortunately, we have a lot of um, experience now of covering stories about terrorism in our various offices. Mm-hmm. There's a period in France in particular uh, when there were attacks like the Bataclan attacks. The Bataclan, Stade de France, yeah. Yeah, exactly, and Charlie Hebdo. Yeah. Um, so we, we sort of built up a routine on how we work with these stories and we're always very careful to verify because you see when these kind of stories happen that rumors start to fly all over the internet yeah and we just made a decision early on we're not going to report any any rumor at all everything Mm. has to be verified so we're just very careful with those kind of stories is that much more difficult now in the time of you know back in the day twitter was one of those things that you could use as an actual tool right but more and more people are saying uh you know this expression quiet quitting they're just going Mm. okay i'm not saying that but i'm not using it anymore and some very very influential people and organisations have said that to me lately that you just can't really use that for this kind of story mm. anymore can you? No exactly yeah, no, I don't think it's a, it's anywhere near as reliable as it was a few years ago since they gave the sort of blue checks to, to anybody who was willing to pay for them Yeah and uh, so, so you just avoid that kind of thing it'll be more I don't, I don't use Twitter at all anymore Do you not know? No, Were you no. ever a big user of Twitter? I can't remember I was you ever a being lurker. There. I was a lurker I would have been on there a lot didn't, didn't write much on there but it, I thought I found a really good source of, of news stories so I was always watching what the conversations were but it's just become much less reliable so yeah. I spend very very little time on there now Well when you had those original uh, sort of uh, verified accounts for football teams and for politicians yeah. and everything else like that and then you go okay this is a reliable source and even geez, I remember the discussions at the very beginning going okay is this now like, you know, a press release kind of thing? And eventually the world's media decided it was that. But now I remember seeing something from the the Belgian Emer- emergency authorities who put something out and the whole world was going, is this right? Or is this some fella sitting in his bedroom yeah, exactly. in sort of, you know, love exactly. and putting this kind of crack yeah. out there, you know? Uh, do you personally, you know, I know editorial product manager is one thing, but obviously the local is not the biggest news organisation in the world. Do they pull in your sort of arm and go, okay, Paul, we need a little bit of help covering this story, a bit of guidance, or do you stay out of that day-to-day editorial process? These I days? stay out of it. So I, I work mostly with the local's podcast. So I present, I present the podcast and I work on sort of developing a business strategy around around podcasts and mm. other ed- editorial products like newsletters, for example. So I'm not mm. really pulled into that day-to-day stuff very mm. often, very rarely now these days, actually. We, we've already got, we were going to mention the podcast, but we've already mentioned it once now. Yeah. Tell people about it, right? Because obviously there's only so much I could do with a once-a-week podcast. What's the podcast on the local and how do people get hold of it? Yeah, it's called um, Sweden in Focus and it comes out every Saturday morning and we cover kind of the things we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. So the main news stories in Sweden in a given 
Open Week and often we'll bring in um, an expert commentator to give us a little bit of background on a big topic. Mm. How's it going for you? Do you find that this is something that there's a big market for in Sweden? And the podcast is going really well. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, we have a very um, loyal audience on there, and we put out you know regular feedback forms to see what people think, and the response we get is is very good. And we get a lot of um, we have a lot of interaction with our with our listeners, yeah. and you know we'll field questions from listeners and and bring that into the discussion. So there's a really kind of positive feedback loop there. Yeah. So it's more a sort of a two way communication. It's not just yeah. broadcast anymore, exactly. kind of thing. You know. Exactly. Yeah. And the newsletters as well. This has become something since the advent of Substack that a lot of people are. Using more. I'm signed up for a few of them, but I have to say that I don't read all of them. Yeah. Do you have any sort of statistics that you look at? Okay, this person spent X amount of minutes or they scroll down through, you know, 60% of my newsletter. Are you on that level when yeah, you're looking at those things? Yeah, yeah. No, we, we're on top of all those kind of details. Yeah. yeah. How are they looking for you? Are they still very engaged really readership? Good. In that? Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, we compare ourselves to other um, newspapers in the industry and people sometimes re- release their, their data on this and they'll, they'll say what their open rates are like and. Mm. And that kind of thing, and we're usually kind of above the average there. So we do have a very loyal audience, mm. uh, by virtue of the fact that you know people, people move to Sweden or move to another European country, and they find that they don't really understand what's going on, and mm. you know we're there to to help people um, get a handle on the the news. Mm. Um, so that we do find that people tend to be quite loyal to us. Mm. This might sound like a stupid question, but how many readers does the local .se have outside of Sweden? Is there an interest outside of Sweden at all, or is that negative? There is an interest, yeah. And there's always been an interest in the, in the US particularly. That's, That's our right. sort of biggest audience outside of Sweden, yeah. Mm. Uh, and if we find that on all our sites, actually. Um, so you'll have, like, we have an awful lot of Italian-Americans reading our, Itali- our Italy site, for example. Okay. And I, you know, a lot of a lot of Swedes emigrated to the U.S. and people are sort of seeking their their roots. Yeah. Uh, so we find that we have an awful lot of uh, American readers, yeah, and quite a few in the U.K. as well, um, India, all over the world, really. But yeah, our core audience is is mm. here. And I think more so now than it would have been before, because in back in 2018 we switched to a subscription model. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so we moved away from a sort of a model that was based on reach where we were just, you know, writing for the for the broader Internet. And then yeah. we found we had an awful lot of uh, readers from abroad. But now now we write a more sort of niche kind of article yeah. um, that's more sort of service oriented and it's, it's aimed at helping people in their day to day lives in Sweden much more than it would have been before. So not as much news, yeah. more sort of practical advice now. So the, the, the people who will be reading outside of Sweden, <coughs> you, they don't really influence your editorial policy or your, your product policy at all? No? Not anymore. No. no. They would have done before, but not, not none the last five years. I, and yet there's still a good few of them who are still there and who subscribe yeah, to that, yeah? Yeah, I mean, we still, do, we still do the news, just not as much of it as before. Oh, yeah. Speaking of which, uh, the other two stories. So the first story was that terror attack in Brussels when Sweden were down there in Belgium to play. Uh, the game finished 1-1. I think it's not going to be played again. Uh, as you said, the story sort of you know went up and down like a firework. The next couple of things, and the one that I get sort of asked about most often without anybody ever committing to doing a whole lot about it, is mm. this idea of gang crime in yeah. Sweden at the moment, right? My two cents is that there's a, a desire to discuss and to know about this, but only if you're willing to discuss it within certain framing, right? Mm. And I often find that when uh, foreign media organizations come to me and say, okay, what's this about? That they look at the way I would put it to them and go, that's not really for us because it's not mm. telling the story that they want to tell, right. right? How do you find reporting on those things now, thinking of all those influence people outside of Sweden and the people go to the local for news and for uh, things, the word on the ground there, how are you covering that story of gang crime in Sweden? 
we're trying to cover it in a kind of a solutions based way as much as possible you know look at things that have worked in combating gang crime for example and and sort of lift positive examples rather than just reporting on the on the the explosions and the shootings although we do that too but mm. try to bring a kind of a, a constructive approach to it as well and mm. uh, like one example i think of that we've covered quite a few times is that uh, down in malma which had a big problem with gang crime a few years ago and still does to an extent but not not as much as before they they introduced um, the gang violence intervention um, strategy that's been used very successfully in in the US. Hmm. Uh, so we we, re- we report on you know those kind of um, successful initiatives and hmm. um, and examine like how that could be applied elsewhere. Hmm. Interestingly, it hasn't been brought to Stockholm yet. Which this is a fascinating thing. Can you do, just explain a little bit about what that strategy was down in Malmo? How did they stop these young fellows from shooting one another, so to speak? Yeah, it, it had a kind of a silly name in Swedish, Sluta Skjut, Stop Shooting. And, <laughs> Fair and, enough. It yeah, does exactly what it says it on the tin. It does what it says on the tin, yeah. <laughs> but I think, I think that name... Um, meant that people didn't really take it seriously. I think the press kind of sneered at it and, and laughed at it and mm. it's kind of derided uh, by the the far right in particular as being a sort of a juice and buns approach, I think they call it saftabullar. Yeah, yeah. It's where you bring you bring in um these gang criminals, you have a call in and uh, you you bring them all together and you confront them with victims of gang crimes. So mm. they're 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 in the room together. The police are there and the police are telling them, we're watching your every move. We're going to make your lives miserable. Yeah. You've got families here. Your sister's life is going to be terrible because of what you're doing. They're just confronted with the harsh realities mm. and the consequences of everything that they're involved in. And a lot of these people are very young and they haven't really considered the consequences that much. Yeah. And what researchers have found is when when this is sort of really brought home to them a lot of them start to rethink their life choices and they're given a way out as well mm. and while that might have an, not have an immediate effect maybe a few months down the line somebody might say you know i got the phone number of somebody who can help me get out of this environment mm. and and it has been found to be successful mm. is that one of those things that <clears throat> as soon as you start to talk about things like this like, okay who's going to pay for it you know why should taxpayers mm. be paying money for this I would always say, like, any money you put into preventative measures is money well spent. Well, exactly. It's a, low, it's a low-cost strategy. It is, like, you can laugh at it as juice and buns, but also it's juice and buns. You know, it doesn't cost much. Yeah, exactly. It's Prison places like, cost a whole lot more, basically. Yeah, you know? exactly, exactly. Just get people in a room together. It doesn't cost that much. If it doesn't work, fine. You haven't had a massive outlay on it. Mm. There has been headlines from places like, obviously, Stockholm, and basically every parish in Stockholm has been hit, been hit by this, but places like Eskilstuna, yeah. you know, Vesteros, this kind of thing is, spreading now i was in gothenburg i think this time last year and i knew a few boys who were sort of involved in uh, in in the business if you like and mm. they were walking out of a hotel and i recognized them and they were basically on the run because somebody wanted to kill them mm. and they were hiding out down there you know these are lads i would have known through football and that yeah. but you know there's no secret about what they will be up to you know why aren't these things a why are they spreading to these small towns is it fellas who are going hiding there and b why isn't the malmo approach being used in stockholm is there any reason for that have you found in your reporting well, why it's been why it's spreading to other places, I think, is because Sweden has become um, there's quite there's a big drug market here, and it's become a sort of a hub for the Nordics as well. So it's the the, the route to to Norway and Finland. A lot of the drugs mm. come through like ports like Helsingborg in the south, for example. Yeah. 
Um, there's an awful lot of drugs coming in there now, and it, and it's flooding these smaller towns. So there are turf wars over yeah. drugs that would have previously only been in the big cities. They've spread to the smaller towns now as well. What kind of drugs are we talking about, right? Because the first time when I came to Sweden in 1996, and you would talk to people about, you know, in Ireland, hash was a prevalent thing there, alcohol was a prevalent thing there, heroin was a huge thing in the Dublin that we would have grown mm. up in, right? But there was no coke the way there was in the Celtic Tiger years no. and that kind of thing. Now. Coke is one of those expensive things, you know, all forms of amphetamines and uh, like tramadol. These are they the kinds of things, or is it weed? What, what sort of stuff is coming in? Do you it's think coke, coke and cannabis? There's a lot. There's an, an awful lot of coke coming in from South America. Yeah, and there's a lot of cannabis as well. Those are the two main ones. They're as I two. understand it, I'm no expert on this. Obviously, I mean, you know, you make your excuses and leave, yeah, as yeah, we exactly, always say, journalism. Exactly. But th- that is. A very modern addiction. Coke in particular mm. is, you know, God's way of telling society you have too much money, right? Yeah. Um, it, it, but is this like, oftentimes you will see people talking about the suburbs in Rosengord or in Hoosby or in Linkeby and that kind of thing. And they talk about these as being the problem areas. In my experience, they're not the people who take Coke. Well, everybody is. I think that's it. I think that's what um, researchers are telling us. You know, people, everybody's at it now. Everybody's yeah. at it. It's in all parts of society. It's in these more vulnerable suburbs, but it's also in the most affluent parts of society. But it's everywhere. Mm. Everyone's taking it. I wonder then, you know, if there's a, a certain reluctance on the part of some people to find out exactly how far down the rabbit hole they can go. Because it's one thing if you're knocking on doors in Hoosby and Inkeby and Rosengord and Biscops Gordon. Mm. It's another thing entirely if you're doing it here in Vossastan or in, uh, in Ustamam, right? Yeah. I, I can't remember what town it was in, but there was a... Did you see a story about the Swish List? Yes. Uh, yeah. Where uh, basically the police got hold of a list of all the people who'd been buying drugs from a particular dealer and that list became public. Yeah. Uh, I think it was at North Shopping maybe. Um, uh, but the whole town, it's the talk of the town because they suddenly they could see, oh, it's, you know. It's literally everybody yeah, is on it's, it. Like. It's the butcher, the baker, the <laughs> candlestick maker. Everybody is at it, you know. And, uh, yeah. There's a fascination there. But if we go back to that thing, as I say, if you mentioned cannabis here in 1996, it was everybody looked at you like you were an extra in train spotting. Mm. You know, everybody thought you were a drug addict or that kind of. Even if you had a positive word to say about yeah. it, has Sweden's attitude towards drugs changed? Because you know, if people, but on the surface, you mm. know, if 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 that you know swish list on from from North Shopping is nothing to go by, there's a whole lot of people who are sort of being a little bit two faced, and they might be saying outwardly that no, no drugs, Jesus, they're mm. terrible altogether. At the same time, while they're swishing a few bob to some young fellow who's going to come by with a little envelope, has that changed? Not really. You don't I mean, think so? Right? No, no. I think the policies are still as restrictive as they as they ever were, and there's not really a discussion about liberalising things. Mm. When you look at places like Portugal, um, marijuana is legal in I don't know. I think it might yeah. be 26 American states now. Um, Portugal has decriminalised a lot of things, which is a different thing from legalising mm. things. It just means it's not a criminal offence anymore. A lot of these societies would say that they're doing better because of it, because yeah. they're not spending all this money on policing. Is it ever a debate that you expect to see? Can we ever even have that debate in Sweden? I think it will happen at some stage, but I don't think it's going to happen yet. I actually interviewed the um, Justice Minister Gunnar Strummer recently, and I put that to him. I said, you know, look at Norway, look at Portugal, look at these places uh, that are that are liberalising, and it looks like they're seeing some positive results. So he's like, you know, I don't see it that way. Yeah. 
uh, the, the things have got better for different reasons there it's nothing to do with their drug policy he just wasn't having any of it and wasn't ready to have that debate at all yeah there was a Christian Democrat politician is it Sara Huitelal I think yeah. her name is and she spoke favourably she's a, a, an MEP and she spoke favourably about marijuana at some point mm. and just like you know, dragged over the coals and I was like how dare you say mm. anything positive about drugs whatsoever are we capable of having a debate about it at all Paul? No, I mean, it's a really good question. And it's interesting, like, as you say, it's become much more prevalent in society. You know, when I go out walking in Forster, where I live, I, I smell cannabis regularly yeah. now, which never would have been the case um, 20 years ago, mm. say. It's just, you know, it's just around us much more. But the debate hasn't really moved on. Yeah. That's one of those things, I suppose, where the politicians go after the people rather than the other way around. You yeah. know, there's not going to be a whole lot of leadership on it. Um, in terms of, I get a lot of people talking to me about especially people who are new over here or who've been reading, you know, certain things, probably not the local, right? Not fact-based reporting, right? Uh, and they're going, okay, should I be nervous about moving to Sweden? Should I be mm. worried? Is there a danger to people who aren't involved in the drugs trade? Because we have seen situations where family members of those who are involved, as you mentioned, Della yeah. Malmo, that, uh, okay, their lives are going to be miserable now. We've seen people targeted. Is it still a safe country? Is it still a safe place that you and I moved to all those years ago? Or do you see Sweden as being more dangerous now than what it was maybe then? I think it's all more dangerous than it was. I still think it's a safe country, but it's it's more dangerous than it was when we moved here. Mm. Don't you think? I, I don't know. Like an awful lot of these things are to do with perception, right? Yeah. And I've lived in <coughs> in Shista uh, on the blue line for so long that I don't. I honestly don't see. Mm. I don't feel unsafe and have never done so. Now that's not to say that somebody else in exactly the same position wouldn't feel unsafe. Mm. It's just I've been there for so long that I don't. You know, mm. I don't see the unflas on the square anymore who are selling hash or who are selling cannabis. It's just you know the way. It's like blonde girls. They just sort of disappear into you know. That's just what you see every day, kind yeah. of thing. You know. So so for I me, personally I, I live. Don't. I live to the south of the city and that's where a lot of the, the yeah, gang the moment, stuff is yeah. concentrated at the moment so so where I live is, is Hökering and it's between Forsta and Gubengen in Forsta just to, just at the start of the summer there was a mass shooting yeah um, where um, two people were were killed and um, more were injured and in Gubengen there were explosions earlier in the year yeah. outside apartments so it just really felt like this has come quite close yeah you yeah know? so it, it, it made it much more real for me definitely mm. Would you be nervous going out now in the tunnel barn at home in the dark of winter's evening? I'm not, no, but I'm definitely more aware of it now than I was before. Yeah, yeah. I'm aware that there is a kind of a, there's a, there's a danger out there. Yeah, fellas sitting in cars with the, the hazard lights on or whatever and just yeah. waiting on things and that, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was the other story that we mentioned? There was three stories. So there was the gang criminals and then there was the uh, the two murders that happened down in Brussels. What was the other one? Work permits. Work permits. That's mm. a big one. Not necessarily for Irish people, but it might be for people who have partners or that kind of thing. We see a lot of people from the, the Asian subcontinent, from India, Pakistan, yeah. Bangladesh here. What has changed there and why? So what's changed is that starting on the 1st of November, which is very soon, mm. um, the the salary thresholds to qualify for a work permit as a, a non-EU person uh, will be raised from 13,000 kroner a month to 27,360 if I've got my figures right there. It's a fairly big jump. It's a really it's a really big jump and it was expected um, you know both this government and the previous government had said that it was going to do the same thing so this mm. is something that has been coming. Uh, but I think what has surprised a lot of work permit holders is that it's being applied retroactively. So people who've been working here for for years, 
uh, now risk being kicked out of the country. Uh, so they've in, they've invested everything in mm. in moving here. And what we've seen from from talking to our readers at the local is that a lot of these people are um, people who are very well educated, maybe, you know, doctors, Mm. dentists, lawyers uh, who have who have come to Sweden and found that they can't work in their chosen profession to start with because their Swedish isn't good enough. Mm. So they work as cleaners or they work as care assistants. Um, they work in agriculture. They work in forestry mm. uh, with a view to eventually, um, you know, getting their foreign degrees verified in Sweden and getting their Swedish up to, to a level mm. where they can work in their chosen professions. And now they're going to be kicked out of the country and they're very, very upset about it, understandably. These are also areas, you mentioned care workers, you mentioned people in the medical profession, that kind of every European country is crying out for people to do these jobs. Why hasn't there been an exception made for them, you know? Because especially Mm. a lot of them would be at the stage now where they have learned enough Swedish or they've learned, you know, they mightn't have the qualification, but they've been working in the language and they're they're doing these jobs. Like, Mm. is this this something that's going to backfire on Sweden, do you think? Very possibly. I mean, that's what business organisations and some trade unions think, that that, Mm. that there's no, there's no economic argument for for doing this that should that sweden is shooting itself in the foot essentially mm. um and i guess it, re- it remains to be seen but we were talking on on the locals podcast i was talking to the locals um ceo james savage who yeah. comes from from the uk and he was comparing to brexit yeah uh where you know people who worked in these kind of professions left en masse after brexit and it created a huge hole in the economy and yeah. you see it in the form of empty supermarket shelves for example yeah and he, he he noted that the uk subsequently managed to bring in people from other part of the parts of the world mm. but that sweden doesn't seem to have that sort of contingency in place mm. so it could even be worse in sweden than it was in the uk mm. but you know we'll we'll see what happens mm. another thing that's going to happen is that that the salary the new salary threshold is 80% of the um the swedish median um, salary and okay. it's going to be increased to 100%. So it's going to go up to about 34,000 probably sometime next year. Another thing that's going to happen next year is that they're going to bring in those exceptions you talked about. Mm-hmm. But it's a strange kind of back to front way of doing it to to kick everybody out before bringing the exceptions in. It seems very weird because like it's that thing of establishment, right? You know, mm-hmm. we were talking before we started recording here <clears throat> about some of the, the other work we do. And if you're in a place for a long time and you've learned all the routines and you have your email address and you know where to go and you know what Paddy does and what John does and what Mikey does, you know, and then you get rid of all these people and then you just bring in somebody else who has yeah. to learn all that and then you change the rules so that the person you kicked out originally probably didn't need to be kicked out at all you know it seems to be very short-sighted why are they doing it Paul what's the point in getting rid of all these people who are tipping away here yeah it's a very good question and (laughs) and it's one that nobody really seems to be able to answer if you talk to business organizations people who would generally be supportive of this government Mm. they think it's a terrible idea yeah there's there's nobody outside of politics who's really supportive of it um so the the Swedish government, it's a three-party government, um, the moderates, the Christian Democrats and the liberals, liberals, three parties on the right, but they rely on the far-right Sweden Democrats for support. And together, these four parties signed something known as the TIDA agreement yeah. last year, which is a, a policy document um, that means that the, the Sweden Democrats commit to supporting this government if they push, mm. if they enact 
these policies that they've agreed upon. And a lot of them are policies aimed at curbing immigration. Hmm. So it seems to be that, you know, bringing down immigration, whatever the cost. It doesn't matter what these people are doing here. Just get those numbers down is their thing. I mean, I can't really see any other reason for it. Um, there are no, there nobody has presented any solid economic. Well, if if we if we take the government's point of view on it, um, they say that you know Sweden is struggling with uh, Sweden has high rates of long term unemployment, and people who are long term unemployed, um, could conceivably fill these positions. Um, now the business organisations and trade unions, well, the business organisations in particular, say that these jobs have always been available to the long-term <laughs> unemployed but they're not applying for them for yeah. whatever reason um but that is the government's argument they'll say that it will help bring down the employment rate and it will help integrate people maybe people who came as refugees in 2015 for mm. example so it's uh, they say that it will aid integration but, the, but there's no great evidence for that just yet. Like there's no there's no evidence um, that anybody's really been able to present yet, no. Yeah. Uh, is this also in danger of being used as a tool by the unions, right? Because they're saying, okay, if you want to come here in a visa, on a, a working visa or a work permit, you have to earn 27,000 crowns going up to maybe 34,000 last yeah. year. I'm sure there's unions all over this country are going, okay, oh, is that where the bar is going now, lads? Right, that's, fair enough. Is that going to cause? Ex- that's exactly what's happening, yeah. I think we saw it in, in Umeå <laughs> last week, the, yeah. the Communal Union, which... Uh, represents uh, workers in the municipal sector. Mm. That's exactly what they said. It's like, <laughs> okay, okay, the government says that's uh, 27,360 is an acceptable salary to live in, in Sweden. That's what we should be aiming for, yeah. despite the fact that a lot of collective bargaining agreements in a lot of sectors uh, have the wage level set quite a bit lower than that. Yeah. Like, okay, well, if the government's telling us that's what we should be aiming for, let's go. It's going to be very uh, hard to argue that out of both sides of your mouth, isn't it? Yeah, it is, exactly, yeah. So I I think that'll be one to follow in the weeks to come. I think a lot of unions will be looking at this closely and thinking, okay, now's our chance, let's get the let's get the wages up. Yeah, so the next time that this movement comes around where everybody's make, discussing these collective bargaining agreements, that's going to be top of the pile. Yeah. I was talking to somebody yesterday who was saying that in places, you mentioned Umeå there, but above in Lulio, Arnkultsvik, uh, Ostersund, these places, the, the the communes there, the municipalities there are crying out for Absolutely, people yeah. to go work for Northvolt and to go work for Vattenfall. Yeah. We have had our own enormous success story of, of the Irish people who are living above in Yavla and that yeah. kind of thing. Um, this is obviously a kick in the teeth for them as well, is it? Or are they hoping that maybe it might be Irish plumbers and electricians and engineers who are going to move over there? You know, is it, Do you see a sort of a, a growth in an Irish population or an opportunity for EU citizens to come and establish a life here in Sweden? Yeah, I mean, this won't affect EU citizens, so yeah. I suppose you could look at it that way, yeah. But I think if you look at places like Coleftio, Umeå, Lulio, all these places that are crying out for, for workers, yes, they, they need people to work in, in H2 Green Steel and Northvolt, but they also need a lot of people to work in the sort of municipal sector. They need they need teachers, nurses. Home help, home child help, care workers. All, all that, yeah. And a lot of those jobs are taken by non-EU labour migrants. Yeah. So that's, uh, because I find it hard to put the two things together. If you say, right, on the one hand, we need X amount of town, and literally tens of thousands of people is what yeah. they're, they're like aiming for up there. At the same time, as you're taking away a whole bunch of people who are already there. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, you know? Yeah, and these, these job ads are, are already available across the EU, so people yeah. could be applying for them if they wanted to. But there's like, you know, and not everybody wants to move to Sweden. Yeah. 
what do they have to do to get people to move there? Because I don't you know, like you know, Lulio's grand, bit dark, yeah. bit dark in the winter now. You know, is when you, when you think about the sort of the local and the reach of the local, as you say, nine different European cities. What would it take for some of those people to to move here? Do you think you know? Is there does Sweden do a good job of selling itself? Well, it's a it's a good question because what's happens what's happening now is that Sweden is is revising its um, labour migration uh, policies yeah. and overturning a very liberal. Uh, labour migration that was introduced by the, the alliance government or the moderate-led government in 2008 that made it one of the most liberal countries in the world. Basically, employers could decide for themselves without any sort of trade union interference if they wanted. If they decided that they needed to bring in somebody from outside of Europe, then they could do so, and that's yeah. no longer going to be possible. Uh, meanwhile, countries like Denmark and Germany are going in the opposite direction. So Denmark is often highlighted by this government as a shining example. Yeah. But actually on labor migration, Denmark is re-liberalizing because it realizes that it needs to yeah. if it's going to attract people to move there. Uh, and suddenly countries like, like Germany and Denmark are becoming much more attractive and they're in direct competition with yeah. Sweden. Um, so I don't see how Sweden can square that circle, really. Mm. If you zoom out a little bit, because I think the last time you were down here was just before the election, which is a little over a year ago now, and we spoke about the, the runners and riders there. The outcome was, as you mentioned, a three-party coalition government that's backed up by the far-right Sweden Democrats. Um, what would you say, you know, just in terms of, as I say, the news that appears in the local, that kind of thing, how is this government doing? How is it perceived? Are they seen as being doing good things? Are they seen as being, you know, the SD tail wagging the dog? What do you, what, what do, you know, what does the reporting tell you, so to speak? Um, that it's not a popular government and um, if you look at um if you look at opinion polls they're doing very badly mm. uh, they promised to they promised to improve the economy that's proving slow mm. to to turn around uh but maybe most importantly they they said they would get a handle on gang crime and that has gone it's absolutely opposite. not happened it's gone in the opposite <laughs> direction yeah i mean in their defense they did say this is something that's going to take probably eight years you need to give us two terms to to get to grips with this but but, but paul let me interrupt you there right all the whole election process like oh, our first hundred days and we'll yeah. do this and we'll do that you know and they talk about you know elections are in poetry and government is in prose and that kind of thing right but uh, the amount of spoofing that went on there in terms of fuel prices in terms yeah. of gang criminality and that this is not a country where you can say you're going to do something and then not do it is that what's coming back to bite them in the ass in terms of popularity it might be yeah that's an interesting uh, perspective on it. I think if you look at Sweden in an international perspective, what's happening here is similar to what's been happening in other countries, where what you say doesn't seem to matter that much anymore. You yeah, can see short like, memories. Yeah, short memories, and you can see that far-right populists have been elected in, in multiple uh, countries, and they, they promise the world and, and can't really deliver, and it hasn't harmed their their electoral uh, possibilities that much. Mm. Um, maybe it will be different in Sweden. I guess we'll see at the next election. It's hard to know. But what we have seen is that the, the government parties have dropped considerably in the polls. Like the mm. Social Democrats are way ahead now. Yeah. Um, the Sweden Democrats, interestingly, haven't dropped that much. They've been sort of solid between 15, 20% for the last, what, eight years? Yeah. 
you know, so they, they do seem to have a stable voter base. But it is fascinating what they did as well, right? So they went in as they're supporting the government, but they're not in the government, mm. right? So all the praise, they can go, yeah, that was us. And everything that goes around, they go, no, that was them. Yeah. Whereas, you know, with an awful lot of other um, junior coalition partners, we've seen it in Ireland a lot, mm. right? The Green Party goes in, they get the shit kicked out in the yeah. next election. Same thing happened with the Labour Party. Is this sort of teeing up the Sweden Democrats to make them not just the biggest right-wing party, but by far the biggest right-wing mm. party by the next, because the rest of them seem to be just disemboweling themselves with everything mm. they do, you know? Is that the way you see it going? It's definitely a possibility, yeah. Yeah. Does that make you nervous in terms of uh, your life here in Sweden? Um, frankly, yeah. Mm. It does, yeah. I, I, don't, uh, I don't particularly enjoy the prospect of a far-right-led government. Yeah. Uh, but you know I don't know if it's going to come to that we'll see yeah I think it will change a little bit it all depends I mean the great thing about European social democracy in the last 20 years is you know they never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity as mm. the saying goes uh, where do find people where do people find the local what's the best subscription for them is there any good deals at the moment if they want to keep up with the news not just in Sweden but in Germany and all the other countries that you operate in as well yeah, it's just there's, there's always good deals on offer, you know. Um, I think if you if you sign up and sign up to newsletters, you'll get presented with different different offers. So you go to the local.se and you can go to newsletters or you can go to become a member mm-hmm. and um, see what the what the what offers are available there. Mm. Some of, is it free to sign up for the newsletters and the podcast is free as well, is it? Yeah, some of the some of the newsletters are free and some of them are just for subscribers. So people can start there and they get their weekly dose of news exactly. in Sweden. Then they can listen to your beautiful sonorous voice exactly. every week M- of the mellifluous, podcast. I mean, mellifluous yeah, is the word. Yeah, yeah. Just couldn't find that word when <laughs> I needed. And then of course there is the paid uh, option. I think it was around about 50 60 euros a year something like that. It's something like that, yeah. yeah. So yeah. basically for a euro a week ladies and gentlemen you will get all the news that's fit to print and a couple of podcasts and a few newsletters as well Paul O'Mahony thanks so much for coming down and talking to us about thanks very much there you go that was the legendary Paul O'Mahony coming down here always a fascinating chap to talk to and I'm delighted that they've moved in not too far from where I am at the moment so I'll uh, hopefully be able to see him a little bit more often and maybe get him on the podcast a little bit more often because I think he will have enjoyed that right I forgot to mention uh, two things one is that I found that swish number right so 123-2424-166 123-2424-166 swish is like revolute on your Swedish phone right if you want to swish a few bob that will go straight into the business bank account my wonderful accountant Julia will make sure that all the VAT is paid and all that kind of stuff there as well and you can contribute to keeping this podcast going and that will make me immensely grateful and I will say only nice things about you uh, now and forevermore basically and the other thing I wanted to bring up to, to you was the Irish Chamber of Commerce in Sweden I know I mentioned that uh, next week's podcast is going to centre a lot around it on a, a chat that I had with Rory Moore about their upcoming gala dinner but they also have their informal breakfast on October the 26th in Stockholm that is this coming Thursday morning starts at 8 o'clock in Urban Delhi on Sveavegen and then on Friday they will have a virtual fika so you can get together with a cup of coffee half 8 Friday morning uh, if you go to irishchamber.com I think or .se one or the other you'll find all the details of their events there but show up to the breakfast I will probably show up this week and just have a chat with a few people and I include those comments then with uh, whatever we end up chatting to Rory about there's a load of good stuff there about their upcoming event as well and their Beacon Award but more of that next week listen again the apologies for the fact that it took a little bit of time to get 
dedicate this week's podcast to you. It's here now. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you can't wait to share the ever-loving daylights out of it now. And say, Jesus, that was a great old chat there with Paul O'Malley. And a great old chat with James, the mural artist. And see if you can get Billy Cheney to, to get him back here to do other wild and wonderful things indeed. Next week, as I say, the Chamber of Commerce will be in. And we've loads and loads and loads of guests between now and Sweden. We can't wait to get around to talk to them all on your behalf. Until next time, my friends, look after you as ourselves. Look after one another. And I'll be back again, hopefully, at 7 o'clock on Monday morning with the next episode of the Irish and Sweden podcast. Good luck. Mm-hmm.